Welcome to Willard Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here. We can't wait to share the service with you.
new members, if you'd come up here at this time and just make your way right up in front here. We have a, a short little ceremony that we just go through when we invite new members. We used to, when we invited new members, have everybody come up and hug the new member or shake their hands and everything like that. We're going to hold off on that part of it. Um, but I hope we all make you feel welcome. So uh, I just want to say it's been a privilege talking to you guys, going through the class with you guys, hearing your testimony. As part of membership class, every one of them had to give their testimony in front of everybody else and share that, and, and that was uh, amazing. In fact, um, Brent is going to be sharing his testimony next week. And so um, I'm excited for you to hear that. And we're also going to be making that a regular part of our, our service. So if you have a testimony that you'd like to share, or maybe it's about your life or just something that God is doing in your life, we'll, we're going to open it up for you to do that as well. But all right, let's start. Dearly beloved, the privileges and blessings that we have in community together in the church of Jesus Christ are sacred and they're precious. There is in it such hallowed fellowship, care, and counsel as cannot otherwise be known apart from the family of God, from the church. There is a godly pastoral care with the teachings of the word and the inspiration of corporate worship that you don't experience outside of church. And there is cooperation and service accomplishing that which cannot otherwise be done. We, we have a job to do as a body of Christ. And today, we affirm again the doctrines and the practices of the church. We believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe that human beings are born into sin, that they need the work of forgiveness through Christ and the new birth by the Holy Spirit. That subsequent to this, there is a deeper work of heart cleansing that comes, or entire sanctification, as we call it, through the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And that to each of this, these works of grace, the Holy Spirit gives witness to those. We believe that our Lord will return one day, the dead shall be raised, and that all shall come to final judgment with its rewards and punishments. A question for you. Do you heartily believe these truths? If so, answer, I do. Do you acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and do you believe that he saves you now? If so, answer, I do. I do. Desiring to unite with the Church of the Nazarene, do you commit to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself, as expressed by the covenants of Christian character and conduct? Do you commit to the mission of God as expressed in the doctrine, fellowship, in the work of the Church of the Nazarene? Will you support the teachings of the Church of the Nazarene and strive with God's help to grow in your understanding and practice of the same in a way that enhances the witness of the Church? Will you endeavor in every way to glorify God by a humble walk, by godly conversation and holy service, by devotedly giving of your resources, and by faithfully participating in the means of grace, will you follow Jesus Christ all the days of your life, abstain from evil, and seek earnestly to perfect holiness of heart and life in the fear of the Lord? If so, answer, I will. I will. Great. Well, it is my privilege 
to welcome you into this church officially as members. Yeah, you can clap. <laughs> when we go through these classes, we, we explain this is a serious commitment. This is a vow before God that you're taking. And just like I was talking about with the marriage thing, if you've been through a membership class, you took this vow as well. And let this be a reminder of what you did promise to. Promise before the Lord to serve, to attend faithfully, to give of your finances, right? To help share burdens, to, to live a life that glorifies Jesus Christ. Be reminded in this. Like I said, it is my privilege to welcome you into the Church of the Nazarene and the fellowship of this local congregation. If you're not a member here, we consider you family, right? If you've been here once before, we consider you family. But there's something special about membership that is a commitment. And we welcome you into that with its privileges and with its responsibilities. Remember those that we talked about. All right? We love you guys. I'd hug you. Um, but we're not going to do that at this time, all right? Thank you so much. Barb Ball also completed the class and went through this, and um, she was just not able to make it today. I'm so thankful for the body of Christ and what it means to be a Christian and to be a part of a loving body. I think back to... uh, different people that I had growing up that were my Sunday school teachers, I can still remember things that they taught me. I remember the evangelist that preached the night that I came to Christ. He's still preaching down in Florida. I'd love to go down and visit him and just thank him for allowing to be a willing vessel that God was able to use. And before I share with you, I want to just say that I thank God for His mercy and grace in my life. I, I can't imagine what it would be like to have lived this life without Christ. I thank God for His kindness. I thank God for His saving grace. I know I'd be shipwrecked without Him. And I'm thankful for the body of Christ. Uh, the person that normally plows our driveway couldn't make it and our new member, Jim Gillum, came out on a Friday night at 10.30. We had four-foot drifts, and Jim came out and, and with his plow and dug us out. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> Praise God. Well, today, I'm going to be reading from the book of Exodus. I'm going to be reading chapter 16. And then I'm going to be reading from John chapter 6. I'm going to read the entire chapter, verses 1 through 71. I'll also be reading Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 13. And then I'm going to read one verse from the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. And because of the extensive nature of the reading of the text today, I'm going to ask you to not stand. Stand and show reverence in your heart for God's Word as as we read together. Let's begin our reading with the book of Exodus in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 16, beginning with verse 1. 
And they journeyed from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in. And it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Then Moses and Aaron said to the children of Israel, At evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against the Lord. But what are we that you complain against us? Also Moses said, This shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening, and in the morning bread to the full. And the Lord hears your complaints which you make against him. And what are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses spoke to Aaron, Say to all the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your complaints. Now it came to pass, as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So it was that quail came up at the evening and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay all around the camp, and when the layer of dew lifted there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance as fine as the frost on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather it according to each one's need, one omer for each person, according to the number of persons. Let every man take for those who are in his tent. And I'm going to stop there. Let's move forward to John chapter 6. The New Testament, Gospel of John chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. And after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is in the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to his disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, 
They gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because of a great, the great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. And he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias, near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into the boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. When they said, then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate man in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that all of all he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The Jews then complained about him because he said, I'm the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, it's not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know. How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. 
He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate man in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of this world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were, who did not believe, and who would betray him. And he said, therefore, I've said to you that no one can come to me unless it's been granted to him by my Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. Let's move to the book of Matthew, chapter 17. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 13. Now, after six days, beginning with verse 1, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on the high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking to him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, is it good for us to be here? If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear Him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now, as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. 
And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already. And they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. Deuteronomy 8.15 says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst and from your brethren. Him shall you hear. And those words were spoken prophetically by Moses. By his own admission, Pulitzer Prize-winning writer and celebrated film critic Roger Ebert who died in 2013, did not believe that people could have miraculous encounters with God. As a pre-adolescent, Ebert had attended Catholic elementary school. He was employed as an altar boy at his local parish in Urbana, Illinois, and he studied the scriptures in school. Ebert's mother had hoped that her only son, Roger, would one day minister as a priest. But Ebert, by his own admission, drifted away from the faith. In his biographical memoirs entitled Life Itself, Ebert explained the erosion of his faith over time. He wrote, quote, As I grew up, I no longer lost any sleep over the questions of God and infinity. I understood why they could have no answers. At some point, the reality of God was no longer present in my mind. I believed in the basic church teachings because I thought they were correct, not because God wanted me to. In my mind, in the way I interpret them, I still live by them today, but by the rules and regulations, but not because of the rules and regulations, but by the principles. Well, Ebert explained that his jaundiced eye toward the reality of God was in part based on his refusal to accept or believe that God could be encountered by men, by human beings. He didn't believe in a God that speaks to man. He wrote, let me rule out at once any God who has personally spoken to anyone or issued instructions to men. That some men believe they have been spoken to by God, I'm certain. That's for them to believe. I don't believe Moses came down from the mount with any tablets he did not go up with. I believe mankind in general has a need to believe in higher powers and an existence not limited to this physical, the physical duration of the body. That these hopes and believing them doesn't make them true. Well, friends, Roger Ebert was right about one thing. Our believing doesn't make it true. Friends, the fact that God's Word and Jesus said it makes it true. As is recorded in John 14, 5-9, Jesus explained how His disciples could know God if they had known Him. Thomas' disciples said to Him, Lord, how do we know where you're going? How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known the Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, sh show us the Father and it's sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. 
Jesus bore witness of himself and his own deity as God the Son, as is presented in John 8, 14 through 19. In John 8, 23 through 24, John 8, 14 through 19 says, Jesus answered and said to them, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one, and yet I do judge. My judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. It's also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. Then they said to him, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known the Father also. Jesus confirmed his deity that he was God. In John 8, 23 and 24, the verses say, and he said to them, you are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. We are taught to trust and abide in with faith the words of Jesus, not in our own vain deceits or futile, silly musings. Proverbs 28, 26 says, He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. Yet today you hear many people say, I'm following my heart. I'm following my heart. Proverbs 28, 26 says, He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but whoever walks wisely will be delivered. Psalm 14.1 reminds us that the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. But friends, make no mistake, there is a realm of eternal life that will be experienced by the believer after they leave this life. By his own account, Roger Ebert did not believe in eternal life. He said this, he said, what I expect to happen is that my body will fail, my mind will cease to function, and that will be that. Someday I will no longer call out. There'll be no heartbeat. I'll be dead. What happens then? Well, from my point of view, nothing. Absolutely nothing. I, how I hope that Roger Ebert had a change of heart and that the Holy Spirit called Roger to him and that he believed and placed his trust in Jesus Christ before he died because any person that does not believe and place their trust in Jesus will forever be separated from God in a place of torment. Proverbs 23, 17, and 18 assures us of eternity. The verses say, Do not let your heart envy sinners, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day. Here's the key line. For surely there is a hereafter, and your hope will not be cut off. Friends, don't lose sight of the fact that Jesus is preparing a wondrous permanent, eternal home for each of his children. What did Jesus say about the hereafter? What will the hereafter be like for the believer in Jesus Christ? Jesus said this, as is recorded in John 14, 1 through 4, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. What will heaven be like? I could preach an entire sermon on heaven, but Psalm 1611 tells us 
what heaven will be like. It describes how enjoyable heaven is going to be. The verse says, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Well, after Jesus' miraculous resurrection, many had witnessed or had a miraculous encounter with God as they witnessed firsthand the Savior in his physical glorified body. The Apostle Paul talked about this. He chronicled the encounter that many witnesses had with the resurrected Jesus. These were eyewitnesses that saw Christ after he was resurrected. He wrote, as is recorded in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas or Peter, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep after He was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. Friends, it's a historical fact that people saw the resurrected Jesus. Contrary to Roger Ebert's assertion that God has not spoken to man, Jesus told his disciples that if they had seen him, they had seen the Father. The disciples and the witnesses had a miraculous encounter with God in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, the overarching message of John chapter 6 is this, to encapsulate it. God in the person of Jesus Christ, He can provide for our physical and temporal needs. But Jesus taught this. He taught that we are to seek Him on a deeper level, on a spiritual level. Jesus taught us that we are to make Him the Lord of our lives. Jesus gave the multitude literal bread to eat. He fed them, but told the people that they had a much greater need. He told them that He was the true heavenly bread that they so desperately needed. Jesus is the bread of life. God the Son, Jesus, was sent by God the Father from heaven to provide the gift of eternal life to those who believe. The manna sent by God to Israel and the bread that Jesus multiplied to feed that multitude of 5,000, that bread was physical in nature. These breads strengthened the physical body for a short time. Then the consumer, those ingesting, quickly became hungry again. But child of the living God, if you believe and place your trust in the person of Jesus Christ, you will live forever and never hunger or ever thirst. Now a believer may wonder, well, how can this be true? I've place my trust in Jesus Christ, and I still feel hungry. I still get thirsty. Well, Jesus was trying to help his children to comprehend that there's a deeper need, a hunger, and a thirst within each of us that needs to be fulfilled and quenched. There is in each of us a man or a woman dying in their sin that needs to be redeemed and saved. Jesus was describing a bread that would bring fulfillment and forever quench that thirst through the gift of everlasting life. Jesus grants to us a gift that transcends our current circumstances, our current needs, our current physical limitations and circumstances. Jesus said in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. 
In verse 27, Jesus said, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you. When Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the well, recorded in John 4.10, he said, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Jesus went on to say in verse 13, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water I shall give him will never thirst. Living water. Jesus was referring to the Spirit that leads to eternal life. Don't forget, in eternity, Jesus will provide sources that will forever fulfill and sate our appetite and slake our thirst. Revelation 22, 12 through 14 says, Blessed are those who do His commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates of the city. Now in the new heaven and the new earth, there won't be a sea, there won't be an ocean, but there will be a beautiful river. Revelation 21.6 explains, the verse says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Revelation 22, 1 and 2 says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and the Lamb. In the middle of its streets on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The verse goes on to say, The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. The Christian... The child of God will never hunger or thirst again. Their every need will be met in eternity. The bread of life, the source of living water, Jesus, will give the gift of immortality and eternal life to believers. Jesus said this about himself in John six fifty. He said, this is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. Now, when some people witnessed Jesus feed the 5,000, they believed that they were seeing the prophet that was described hundreds of years earlier as is recorded in Deuteronomy 18.15. This Savior would be like Moses in some ways, but far greater. The verse says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. Now friends, this prophecy regarding Jesus, the Savior of mankind, is significant because Jesus' coming was foretold by the prophets, and in this case, it was Moses. And this happened hundreds of years before the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament prophecies regarding Jesus have been fulfilled, friends. The words of the prophets and Jesus are completely to be trusted. They aren't a collection of bizarre fairy tales. God's Word confirms this fact. The disciples were eyewitnesses. 2 Peter 1, 16-21 explains how they saw and they heard the confirmation of Jesus' Godhood, His deity. The verses say this, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses to His majesty. For he received, we received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard his voice, which came from heaven, when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light 
that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, this is significant, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but the holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit as they were moved by God. God's prophetic revelations, friends, can be completely trusted. In verse 14 of John 6, God's Word records that the people that had witnessed the miraculous feeding reacted in recognition to Jesus being the fulfillment of the Word that Moses spoke about the prophet. The verse says, Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who was to come into the world. Unfortunately, many that met with Jesus and ate that miraculous meal that he had provided did not want to follow Jesus because of Jesus being the Messiah or because he was the son of the living God or even because he was capable of miraculous feats. They sought to follow him and to make him king because he could meet all their physical needs. He could feed them. Jesus explained this as is recorded in John 6, 26 and 27. The verse says, Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life. In John 6, 30, the people asked Jesus, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe? Later, Jesus said in John 6, 64 and 65, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up the last day. Jesus was saying that just as physical food, the food we eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, just as that food is necessary for a person to stay alive and to maintain their physical body, Jesus' person is necessary for eternal life and for our spiritual health and well-being. We have to have Jesus. When the Jewish priests and the religious leaders interrogated John the Baptist, they asked him if he was the prophet. This interaction is recorded in John 20, 19, and 21. We didn't read that, but it says this. When the Jews sent priests and the Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, talking about John the Baptist, who are you? John did not denied, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. And they asked him, are you the prophet? And he, John the Baptist, answered, no. Figuratively, symbolically, not literally, Elijah came in the person of John the Baptist. Malachi 4, 5, and 6 said that Elijah would return. Malachi 4, 5, and 6 says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Remember this about Elijah. And we didn't read this, but you can do a study on your own. Elijah didn't die. Remember, he was taken by God in a whirlwind. Remember, when asked if he, if he was Elijah, John the Baptist affirmed that he was not Elijah. It stated in Luke 1.17 that John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah. He was like Elijah. The verse says, he, John the Baptist, will go before him, Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts 
of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. During Jesus' incredible transfiguration, it was Elijah and Moses that appeared to Peter, James, and John and talked with Jesus. Later, Jesus reminded them that a type of Elijah had already come in spirit and in power in the person of John the Baptist. You can read that in Matthew 17, 10 through 13. The verses say, and his disciples asked him saying, why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Jesus answered and said to them, indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already and they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wish. Likewise, the son of man is also about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke of John the Baptist. John the Baptist wasn't the Messiah, but he was the herald or the forerunner of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He would proclaim and announce Jesus, the Savior's coming. Jesus was and is much more than any prophet. Jesus is God, the Son, the eternal God, a person of the eternal Godhead with the Holy Spirit and God the Father. Colossians 2, 8 through 10 attests to Jesus' deity. Now, we know that the word Trinity is not found in the Bible, but the word Godhead used to describe the three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is used in the Scriptures. The the verses say, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. For in Him, talking about Jesus, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And we are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Jesus was fully God and fully man when he was here on earth. In Philippians 2, 6 and 7, God's word tells us that Jesus was equal with God the Father and that he came in the likeness of men. Jesus' identity as the the prophet Moses spoke of is also confirmed in the New Testament in Acts 3, 22 and 23. The verses say, For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear, that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Jesus being the prophet is restated also by Stephen in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 7, verse 37. The verse says, This is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear. The person of Jesus was the fulfillment of this prophetic word spoken hundreds of years earlier by Moses. Are there a number of similarities between Moses and Jesus more than I will take time to share today. But I am going to mention a few of the ways that Moses and Jesus were similar. God, through Moses' leadership, miraculously fed the children of Israel with manna, a miracle, giving them a miracle food source. Jesus, twice, miraculously fed the multitudes of 5,000 and of 4,000. Now, you can read the account of Jesus feeding the 4,000 in Matthew 15 and Mark 8. We didn't read that, but you can read the accounts of both feedings, the 4,000 and the 5,000 miracles in the book of Matthew chapter 14 and Matthew chapter 15. In Mark 6, 43, God's word says that Jesus fed 5,000 men. Now, this count 
probably did not include the women and children that were there that day. Some Bible commentators believe that Jesus may have fed as many as 20,000 people that day and as many as 16,000 when he fed the multitude of 4,000 men on a separate occasion. Well, another similarity between Moses and Jesus is found in their meekness, their humble actions, their humility, and that humble attitude. In fact, did you know that Moses is identified as being the most meek, humble man on the face of the earth at the time that he lived? When Miriam and, Rose, Miriam and Aaron rose up against Moses in rebellion and spoke against Moses, how did Moses react? Did he want to see them destroyed? No. Moses interceded on their behalf to save them from God's wrath. Numbers 12.3 attests to Moses' meekness and humility. The verse says, Now the man Moses was very meek. Some uh, translations use the word humble. More than all the men who were on the face of the earth, our Savior, Jesus Christ, much to our benefit, came into this world in kindness and meekness and humility. Jesus said, as is recorded in Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 and 30, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus' earthly meek estate was foretold by the prophets. It was prophesied by Zechariah, the prophet, as is recorded in Zechariah 9.10. The prophet wrote, Behold, your king is just, having salvation lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. When Jesus rode in in triumph, he rode in simply on, a, on the colt of a donkey. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are in this world to follow his example of meekness and being humble as followers of Jesus Christ, we are to make Him our role model. We are to conform to His image. We are with His help and the help of the Holy Spirit to imitate Him. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore be imitators of Christ as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us. Galatians 5, and 23 list the fruits of the Spirit that should be in bloom in the heart of every believer and the testimonies of believers the verse says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. The Apostle Paul wrote about the importance of a believer practicing gentleness and meekness and humility. In Ephesians 4, 1 and 2, Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness, gentleness, or meekness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. You see, with charity and humility, we are as Christians to love others as much as we love ourselves. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven through 40, Jesus said, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law of the prophets. Another area where Jesus and Moses share similarities is manifest in the fact that both had compassion on people. We know that Moses acted with compassion as he petitioned God for a successor 
to replace him as the leader and shepherd over Israel. Numbers 27, 15 through 17 records Moses' desire to find a leader that would serve as a loving shepherd. The verse says, Then Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like a sheep which have no shepherd. Likewise, Jesus loved sacrificially and exercised compassion as he loved and ministered to people when he was here on earth, fully God and fully man. Matthew 9.36 says, But when he, Jesus, saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Jesus was and is the good shepherd. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21 says, Now the God of peace that brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will. God's word reminds us that with grace, in compassion, Jesus sympathizes with us in our struggles. In Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, the verse states, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all ways tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. In Mark's account of Jesus feeding the 5,000, we learn that Jesus' motivation for providing food for the masses was rooted in his compassion and love. Mark 6.34 says, And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. The loving, patient father described in Jesus' parable of the prodigal son is described by Jesus as having compassion. Jesus said in Luke 15, 20, and he, talking about the prodigal, arose and came to his father. And when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. In Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus, the Samaritan, as described by Jesus, is said to have had compassion on the victimized traveler. And that's found in Luke 10, 33. Jesus told us in his parable, quote, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he, the wounded victim, was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Friends, God has charged us to rain compassion upon others. I believe that we're seeing a lack of love and compassion in our world today because people are rejecting and ignoring God, and their hearts are growing cold. Jesus described what the world would look like prior to his return. Jesus' description is recorded in Matthew 24, 5 through 14. It says, And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended. They'll betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, 
The love of many will grow cold, Jesus said, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. 1 Peter 3, 8, 9 says, Finally, be you all of one mind, having compassion one for another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessing, knowing that you are thereunto called, that you should inherit a blessing. 1 John three sixteen and 17 describes the compassion that should be practiced by God's elect. The verse says, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in needs and shuts up his bowels of compassion from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Well, both Jesus and Moses spoke to God the Father face to face. Exodus 34, 29 describes Moses' encounter with God and how his countenance was altered by his interaction with God. The verse says, Now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, And the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain that Moses did not know that his face shone while he talked to him. 2 Corinthians 3, 7 and 8 says, But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of his glory, the glory of, excuse me, the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious. You see, Moses' face emitted a radiance after he visited with God. We don't know exactly what that looked like. But Exodus 33.11 says, So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Likewise, Jesus, being God the Son, spoke with God the Father face to face. Matthew 17.2 and 5 records Jesus' recognition and praise by God the Father Verse 2 says, And he, Jesus, was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Verse 5 says, And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Now some might wonder a question. Doesn't John 1, 17 and 18 say that no one has seen God? Well, the verse says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. What is that verse saying? That verse is saying that no one has seen God in His complete spirit, in His totality or His fullness. Bible commentator Charles Reary writes that God assumed at different times a physical form that enabled some people in the Old Testament, to see or to encounter God. We know that Jacob, as is recorded in Genesis 32, wrestled with God. Jacob possessed the temerity to ask God what his name was, and this exchange is recorded in Genesis 32, 29, and 30. Those verses say, Then Jacob asked, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And he said, Why is it that you ask about my name? And he, God, blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Moses and the 70 elders in Israel had an encounter with God. This account is recorded in Exodus 24, 9 and 10. The account reads, 
Then Moses went up also, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his God's feet, as it were, paved work of sapphire stone. And it was like the very heavens in its clarity. When God visited Manoah and his wife, the parents of Samson, to let them know that they would have a son that would be a Nazarite and would be a judge over Israel, Manoah also asked God to reveal his name to him. And you can read this account in Judges chapter 13. Manoah said, as is recorded in Judges 13, 22 and 23, we shall surely die for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, if the Lord had desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us these things, nor would he have told us such things as these at this time. How interesting that both Jacob and Manoah Ask God to reveal his name to them. God the Father has a person and a name that transcends any name and time. He simply is. God told Moses, as is recorded in Exodus 3.14, that he is simply, vexingly, I am. Or I am that I am. God is and always was. He has no beginning He has no end. Jesus the Son also attested to his equality with God the Father and his eternal nature in John 8, 57 and 58. The verse says, say, then the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. You see, Jesus was saying that as the Son, God the Son, He was the same as God the Father in the Old Testament. He uh, has the same status as God the Father. Additionally, the prophet Isaiah was given a vision of God. Isaiah 6, 1 through 3 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord setting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of the robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings, and with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and With two he flew, and one cried to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The the whole earth is full of his glory. Daniel was given a vision of God on his throne, as is recorded in Daniel 7, 9. The verse says, I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. As Christians, we should be seeking the face of God. When I was a boy growing up in the church, that was a phrase that you often heard from the pulpit. And I remember hearing the testimonies of other Christians and other believers encouraging each other to seek God's face. David wrote under the inspiration of God in Psalm 27, 7 through 10, quote, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face will I seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me or forsake me. O God of my salvation, when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Psalm 119.2 tells us that blessed are those that keep his testimonies who seek him with their whole heart. Friends, I want to remind you that God can do anything. In Luke 18, 27, Jesus said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Friends, if God is capable, think about this, if God is capable of creating planets, 
if he can create the sun, if he can create galaxies, if God is capable of creating cells, molecules, atomic structure, DNA, insects, the human eye, the brain, certainly that same God is able to reveal himself to men and women through a book such as the Bible without making any mistakes. He can still perform the miraculous today. God is the same today. He's the same God that the people that ate that miraculous meal with him, it's the same God that they experienced that we can know today. Hebrews 2, 3, and 4 says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Friends, don't ever forget that nothing is impossible for God. And let your hopes and your prayer life reflect that confidence that God is a God of miraculous encounters. Remember that God works in different ways in the lives of individual believers. The Old Testament luminaries that I listed that God met with, let me ask you a question. Were any of those encounters that they had with God the same? No, none of them were the same. Why? Because God works in the lives of individual believers in different ways according to his own will. Remember that even the people that encountered God still experienced hardships. They still went through setbacks. They had trials. And eventually they died. The thousands that enjoyed the miracle meal with Jesus, they died. Moses died. And though he did not need to, Jesus willingly died and laid down his life to save us from our sins and to deliver us from death and eternity. Friends, if there is anyone listening today that has never believed and trusted in Jesus Christ unto salvation, I beg you, I plead with you to do so today. Acts 16.31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Friend, by believing and placing your trust in Jesus Christ because of the sacrificial shedding of his blood on the cross at Calvary, you can have the assurance of salvation and eternal life. You can know that you will one day live forever in heaven with him. 1 John 5, 12 and 13 says, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. The overcoming Christian will continue in their faith. You and I may not encounter God the way that the people did in God's Word or in the same way that others did. But don't quit believing that God is a God that can be encountered, a God capable of the miraculous and improbable. We know that Enoch had an encounter with God. God's Word said that he walked with God and that God took him. According to Genesis 5.24, Enoch didn't die. God just took him into his presence. I've often prayed that God, if he willed it, would take me even for just a second but when I do so, I understand that God's plan for me may be completely different than it was for Enoch or anybody else. I realize that God's will for your life and my life may be completely different. I may have mentioned before to some of you that when my dad died, I prayed at the funeral that as the Lord willed it, that he would raise my father up in his burial casket. Why do I continue to pray such improbable, audacious prayers? To pray what to some people might seem to be 
ridiculous, improbable prayers. I continue to pray those kinds of prayers because I believe in the miraculous. I believe in the fact that God can perform the improbable, the impossible. I believe that as God wills it, he can allow a person to encounter him in a supernatural way, even if he never allows me to encounter him that way or the way in the same way that others have, even if I never see his hand at work in a miraculous way. So what does the Bible say about the believer, the child of God that never sees a miraculous work in this world or never has a miraculous encounter with God? What did Jesus say about that? What did he say about the experience of the believer that never sees God in this world? Well, we know. When Thomas demanded to touch Jesus, the Savior said, as is recorded in John 20, 29, he said, Thomas, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 reminds us of our need for sightless faith. The verse says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. 1 Peter 1, 7 and 8 says that Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. The believer will follow Jesus even unto death. The child of God will, the overcomer will persevere and follow God regardless of of their circumstances. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to always have faith that God can do anything, and I will continue to abide in faith with the help of the Holy Spirit and take comfort in His greatest miracle, the miracle of a redeemed life, through Jesus' shed blood unto salvation. Friend, fellow believer in Jesus Christ, you and I don't need a miraculous encounter right now. The person of Jesus Christ, He's already provided salvation and eternal life for us when we believe, having not seen. 2 Corinthians 12.9 reminds us that Jesus promised, quote, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Listen to this. I close with this. Eventually, one day, all who have believed will miraculously encounter Christ and triumph. 1 Thessalonians 4.16-18 describes the coming glorious encounter with Jesus. The verses say, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And so I do today. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will last forever. Let's pray. Close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son, Jesus, to make it possible for us to have that gift of eternal life. We can know and have the assurance of salvation because of what Jesus did. Lord, I pray that you would help us to believe that you are a God of miracles, a God that encounters, has encounters with people. But Lord, help us to believe even when we can't see. Help us to believe no matter and apart from our circumstances. Help us to be overcomers in your kingdom that persevere through anything that we might face with your help. Lord, I pray that you'd go with us now, helping us to be not just hearers of the word, but doers. And Lord, help us to share the good news 
the gospel with those that we come in contact with. We, want, we ask this with thanksgiving in our hearts, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.